Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Welcome to another episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. I'm Kyle Mayer. I'm Chad Sloke. And this podcast is brought to you by Petrolhead Cafe, a soon-to-be opening bar and restaurant concept that is based in Hartford, Connecticut. This podcast is also brought to you by BuildSource.org, your source for buying and selling gently used surplus and antique building materials. Check it out, BuildSource.org, BuildSource.org. Chaz, did you know that listening to this podcast can make you money? I did. Not. Yeah. <laughs> what? I did not know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, because uh, for all you listeners out there, a couple episodes we talked about how I uh, I bought some stock shares of Palantir Technologies. Um, well, if you had listened to that episode and then gone and bought yourself some stock in Palantir, uh, you would have seen the stock price go up uh, quite a bit last week over the Thanksgiving week. And uh, to uh, triple its value from when I uh, when I mentioned uh, buying Palantir a couple episodes ago. So hopefully you went out there, bought some Palantir, and then sold it the week of Thanksgiving and tripled your money. So yet another reason to listen to the Petrolhead podcast, everybody. So keep tuning in. Yeah, so many reasons. Tell all your friends. Tell them that you too can make money uh, by listening to the Petrolhead podcast. MotoGP, the championship wrapped up one race before, yeah, one race, I think, before the end. Um, Joan Mir finally in the first, there were two Valencia races. Um, Joan Mir won the first one, I think. Um, so he finally got a win under his belt. And then the second Valencia race, um, he came in seventh, although um, that was good enough for him to clinch the, the, the title uh, one race before the end. So that was pretty pretty cool. Um, Joan Mir was kind of a dark horse uh, at the start of the season to uh, to win the championship. Um, I think two out of the first three races he had uh, DNFs, so he didn't even collect any two for two out of the first three races. So it was it was it was kind of a long shot. And Fabio Quattararo had won the first two races um, pretty easily, um, so it was really like. People thought 2020 would be the Fabio Quattararo show, basically. Um, and then Andrea Davizioso showed up pretty big mid-season. So, you know, it was like, oh, man, the championship's going to come down to uh, Dovi and, and Fabio. But actually, um, probably around September, when they were started the second Austria race, um, the Grand Prix of Styria, that's when Joan Mir really started to, to show up and, like, get on the podium nearly every race uh during the second half of the season yeah a lot of news in f1 recently okay yeah so um formula one had its crash of the year it looks like yeah so i yeah we could start with the crash so you know bahrain was um it was an interesting race you know i got up early to watch it and it took about two hours before they turned the first lap on their green flag because uh, it was i think coming out of turn three i think that was uh, Grosjean was cutting across the track and nicked the front of uh, Danny Kvyat's uh, car, which sent him right into a guardrail that ended up basically a can opener effect and split the car in half. And the cockpit part of the car where he was got completely engulfed in flames. And I watched it happen live. I'm sitting there, my mouth is wide open, my hands are on my face, and I'm like, oh my God, who was that, first of all? And, you know, that doesn't look survivable was the first thing I thought. And uh, then they said, OK, you know, looking at the scoreboard, it looks like that was one of the Haas. I think it was Grosjean. And I was like, oh, 
that's that's just it's there's no way he's going to survive that and then they said oh he's 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 out of the car and then long after that they started actually showing the clips of him i mean he was engulfed in flames for like 20 something seconds yeah and and then he jumps out of the car so being covered in flames he was somehow able to reach down do his belts right take the hans off get through the halo and then figure and then orient himself to which way is safety right right (laughs) yeah really for the guardrail jumps over i think he lost the shoe um and then you know the uh, the medical car was there to with the fire extinguisher and, and start to treat him immediately uh and he's got you know not super minor but fairly minor considering what it was burns on his hands and feet and uh you know he's already up doing squats i saw he posted on, on social media he's up doing squats and he was able to press the record button on his phone to record a message so um yeah <laughs> doing fairly well all things considering the event itself is a little bit shocking, of course. Like you said, like you're, you know, like hands to the face, like, oh, my goodness. Like you're just so nervous all of a sudden. But it's hard for me, at least, not to be impressed with Grosjean's actions, you know, to just like get flung around in the air and come to a landing. And your car gets ripped up and then hit, to have the wherewithal to like, yeah, unbuckle yourself, like figure out which which direction to go to have the to, to understand and know that the guardrail is there and that you got to climb up and over it while wow, these massive flames are all over the place and it's it's just fire is hot like i mean even a, a campfire or something can be hot when you're when you're not even that close to it but just like huge flames of rate burning race fuel just like right next to you holy cow and and the the this the the crew who like w- rolled up on scene like right afterwards and is like right yeah. there with the flames too that must have been scorching yeah so i mean that that's of course if you if you watch like the the medical car always follows the first lap right so they right. they they drive basically as fast as they can just to get out of the way in time for the second lap and you know usually they don't do anything and that's a good thing uh, but then when they need to jump into action, you know, they prove their worth and they were there and fire extinguishers and everything. And um, I mean, because they, they roll up and you just see a ball of fire. You don't know if he's in it, if he's out or what's going on. And then when you start to see him emerge, you know, that's when they jumped and started started helping because there's really nothing you can do. I mean, a sideways hit at 130 miles an hour. I'm surprised he wasn't knocked unconscious because if right. he was, I mean, it would have been game over, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and, 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 you know, they weren't showing anything really until they knew that he was safe. That's when they started rolling clips of, of everything happening, which I think was a good good move there. I know Danny Ricardo uh, was complaining over social media that they they Hollywooded it too much um, mm-hmm. to show because they kept showing the clips over and over again while the rest of the rest of the um, the drivers are sitting there in pit lane. And I get it from his point of view, like, hey, we got to go back out there. We don't want to see this stuff. But at the same time, I mean, it's it's. I don't think it was done for entertainment so much as this is the reality of it. This is, you know, this is what it is. And and um, yes, I didn't really agree with, with. I get his point of view that yeah, this sucks because we have to go back out there and you just keep showing us over and over again this horrific crash. Um, you know, but at the same time, it's you know he survived and it's it's a testament to the halos that were built in the car. Uh, I saw a graphic of, had it not been there, how it would have basically just decapitated him for the fence, which I think happened to uh, mm-hmm. 
another driver at Watkins. Was it Watkins Glen? I forget. Yeah, what. I was watching Glen's, Watkins Glen in the 70s. Yeah, I, I'm forgetting, forgetting who it was. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it can clearly happen. And the Halo definitely saved them there. Um, and the Halo wasn't too restrictive for him to be able to get out of the fire in time and, and get to the ground. Um, and then it's a testament to the the race suits, the Nomex, the, the, everything that they wear. And, um, you know, which kind of stinks because I need to buy a new race suit and I was going to do it pretty soon. And now I feel like the prices might be up. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see everybody else watching this, you know, the, the casual HPDE drivers with their t-shirts and, and shorts. They're like, maybe I should get a race suit now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in, I'm impressed um, that, and I can't believe that, Grosjean had no, not like no burns to his body, or especially his like neck and his face, like nothing. I yeah. mean, holy cow! I mean, how I, I'm just like, how how is that even possible? That like nothing in the uh, on the face or the neck. Yeah, I mean, go helmets, I guess. But yeah, yeah. balaclavas and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I can I I think I totally agree with you about what Danny Ricardo was saying, and I think. That yeah, I don't think F1 was 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 Hollywooding it, but I think if I were it, Formula One, it's an international sport. You know, people are tuning in at, at different times, and you know they might be tuning in shortly after the race start. And if the race isn't happening, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? What's going on? You know, so there is kind of the the fan base and audience to think about, and just filling the 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 live TV coverage is more or less the most up-to-date and accurate information so if you're just tuning in um you know maybe you didn't catch the race start maybe you're, you're tuning in like half an hour after the race start 20 minutes whatever um you know and the race has stopped it's been red flagged and you're like whoa what's going on why did this happen you know if you see just like a wrecked car you're like oh my gosh did somebody die like it i think and then the commentators they have two hours to to fill Right. Exactly. That's no true. Right. Right. So I think, yeah, it's yeah, they, they are filling airtime. They're also educating the audience and, and the fan base and stuff as to what happened if they're if they're just tuning in or whatever. But yeah. And then so after that, uh, Danny Kiat was the other car involved in the second incident, which happened on the restart lap. Um, which uh, flipped Lance Stroll very slow you know, low speed, one little flip type thing uh, coming out of the corner. Not a big deal in these cars at all. Um, but, uh, you know, Danny Kvyat was part of that. I watched that. I didn't think he was at fault. Um, but I guess the scrutineers disagreed because it, it seemed like the move that Lance Stroll always does where he's on the outside and he turns in even though there's a car there. And that's what happened. And yeah, it wasn't a flip this time. But, um, yeah, I guess Danny Kvyat didn't really have the corner made and should have backed off. Um, but anyway, he got a 10 second penalty for that and Lance Stroll was out of the race. And then Sergio Perez had an awesome race and he was out too, um, because his engine caught on fire. So I was like, oh great, another fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was, uh, uh, yeah, very odd race overall. Yeah. We were texting about, um, the, the Grosjean's crash on, um, on Sunday and I asked about air fencing. Yeah, I, I, I was I, I was kind of digging into it with, with Formula One and just kind of scoping out on social media, reading comments, and other people were like, hey, shouldn't there be air fencing? Like, why isn't there air fencing? Mm-hmm. So I thought it was interesting that F1 does not use 
air fence at at least a, a spot like that where Grosjean crashed because I wonder if there had been air fence and then a tire barrier and then the was it Armco or the, yeah. the metal barrier like yeah. I wish if, if those things had been there I just wonder if the car would have gotten sliced in half like it did yeah and you know traditionally there's usually not safety on a straight because traditionally you don't just crash on a straightaway and granted that was a diagonal fence as you were saying um and i think there probably should have been well he even hit really hit the diagonal part he hit the the part that was parallel to the track right okay so, i i didn't look too 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 closely yeah so it seems like he hit a part that wasn't designed to get hit um in a sense and you know i don't know if that's going to increase the safety going forward uh probably because that usually something like this especially with global attention usually gets uh you know causes further action to be taken for safety um but uh at the same time it was kind of a very rare place to hit and we haven't seen an accident like this in in a long long time in f1 mm-hmm. so i mean i think they i mean i i would like to see them put the air fence in i mean f1 can certainly afford it you know, it's the most expensive and high-moneyed motorsport in the world. I think if if MotoGP can do it, then Formula One certainly can. At least at certain strategic points. Other F1 news? Yeah, so I'm pretty psyched for uh, the race this weekend. It's going to be at Bahrain again, but it's going to be a configuration they haven't run before. It's the outer loop configuration. Okay. Um, Lewis Hamilton tested positive for COVID, so he is not going to be racing. And his seat was just announced today, uh, which is Wednesday, um, that his uh, his seat will be going to George Russell for the race, um, which is really it's. I, I have mixed emotions, and I, I love George Russell, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like he's only going to have a couple of days to learn this car that has the DAS steering system and all these other things and you know with only two days to learn it is he really going to be able to to get it you know as fast as it could be and mercedes doesn't really care because they already won the championship and mm-hmm. hamilton doesn't care because he already won his championship yeah. um so you know and this will be probably the first points that he you know knock on wood for him but it'll probably be the first points he scores um and if he can get used to the car and does really well if he scores a top two finish you know what does that say about hamilton's driving right yeah it's it's the car all right enough said it's the car um you know if he finishes really in the top three i would say then that kind of puts a ding on on hamilton to me in Mm -hmm. a sense it really shows the car that somebody who's you know a back marker um can do that but at the same time george russell is no slouch i mean he's every single race he's out qualified nicholas latifi um he's an excellent driver and he's just in a very underperforming car so if he can get up to snuff in this car in a couple of days you know i'm really excited to see how he does really you know i've really if i if i had to guess what position he's gonna end up in i have no idea i think if he does the top five that's if he does top three i think that's amazing Mm -hmm. Uh, top five is really good um i think he'll definitely be in the top 10 if i had to guess you know outside of an accident or a spin or something like that that's a big news. And then his seat is um, going to F2 driver, Jack. I'm blanking on the name. A second here. Uh, he's going to be going to Jack uh, Aitken. So he's a Formula 2 racer, and he will be making his debut um, in the Williams car to cover uh, George Russell's seat. 
other things that were announced, the test driver for uh, Haas is going to be filling for Grosjean's seat. Again, whose name I'm missing. But, uh, but Haas, you know, they've already announced that they're firing off um, Magnussen and Grosjean for next year, so they won't mm-hmm. be on the grid. Um, and they just announced their two picks uh, are going to be Nikita Mazepin, which I don't know if I'm saying that right. I believe he's Russian. And uh, he's an F2 racer. And then also Mick Schumacher, uh, which I know I'm saying correctly. And uh, <laughs> he will be the the other driver. So two people that have a ton of sponsorship behind them. So this will mean probably pretty good money for Haas next year. Still leaves uh, Sergio Perez without a seat. So we'll see what happens there. Albon's seat is not guaranteed yet, although he did really good in Bahrain. He had a third place finish. Although Verstappen came on and said, that's not a good finish because he was 40 seconds behind me or, or whatever, however far behind. So he kind of criticized Albon a little bit. Typical Verstappen. Uh, and then Alaban had a really bad test day because he, he had a pretty hard impact coming into the last corner. Uh, so it was a really high and low weekend for for Alaban. But we'll see. I don't know if his seat's going to go to Perez or stay with him. I'm guessing because they just made him an ambassador for, uh, for one of their programs at Red Bull. So I feel like he's probably going to keep the seat next year. But it hasn't been announced yet. And uh, I think Perez was basically saying, look, it's either... It's either Red Bull or, or nobody at this point. So mm-hmm. um, he's probably going to be without a seat. And, you know, people are giving Lance Stroll a lot of crap because Perez is, I think, the more, the, is the better driver. Um, but, you know, daddy owns the team. So <laughs> yeah. Lance Stroll gets to keep a seat. I mean, Lance Stroll's a great driver. Uh, he yeah. makes a lot of mistakes, but I think he's, he's an okay, he's, he's a pretty good driver and he gets a lot of crap from people mm-hmm. and he, he proves them wrong. But, if you're going to compare him to Perez, yeah, I don't think Stroll deserves the seat over Perez. That's all that. So the only seats that are up in the air right now are Alex Albon's. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Danny Piat is the other one that's not technically signed. And technically Hamilton's seat is still up in the air. Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they haven't officially announced the contract. so. Okay. Um, I, I, I doubt he's going to leave. He might be like, well, I just want to tie the record. I don't want to pass it. But, you know, who knows? Since then, we've had... Sergio Perez win a Grand Prix and move to Red Bull. And we've had George Russell get No, that happened, that happened in the last one, George Russell. What? Really? I think so, yeah. I'm pretty sure we talked about that. Okay. I could be wrong. I don't know. I've been wrong before. It's happened once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, let's, let's, five. as far as just seat changes right that's been the big thing going on so you know championship happened uh there already been hamilton's well before uh the season wrapped up so no change there the big one was um um the pink mercedes team uh had some issues right sergio perez and um uh carlos signs not oh, excuse me not carlos signs um lance stroll uh had some issues with their car um uh for the last race so there was, um, uh, it gave uh, Mercedes a great option. Uh, excuse me, Mercedes. I'm all over the place tonight. It gave McLaren um, a great opportunity to, to do well. And um, uh, Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris, the two McLaren drivers, both did really well. Uh, and it was just enough to squeak them onto third place. So that was a big midfield battle, right? Who was going to win third place in the constructors? So that, that ultimately went to Mercedes when it looked like it was going to be racing points. Because McLaren really needed to come back, and and they did, and uh, so that was a that was a battle I was watching closely because I'm I'm Team McLaren, uh, for sure on that. 
Um, but yeah, so as far as seat changes, right, uh, Alex Albon lost his seat. Uh, he is now a reserve backup driver, right, test driver. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the second Red Bull seat, the cursed seat, if you will, um, has gone to Sergio Perez, right? So we'll see uh, what he does uh, and if he can, you know, keep up with Max Verstappen because that's been the crazy thing, right? Every time you put somebody against Max Verstappen, it makes them look bad, right? And it mm-hmm. makes Verstappen look good. So they need somebody who, and you know, Christian Horner has been saying this all season. We need a driver who can be there to put pressure on the cars that are behind Max, right? So that it takes the pressure off of Max and also secures them points, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Alex wasn't really able to do that uh, as much as they want, although he had a great last couple of drives were pretty good for him. Uh, but, you know, they had to look at the season as a whole. So it's unfortunate. I like Alex as a person. Um, you know, as a driver, he was okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he also got screwed over, I think, by Hamilton, you know, a couple of times in Brazil and then in Austria um, where he would try to make a pass and Hamilton took him out. That happened twice, mm-hmm. kind of the same exact maneuver. But anyway, um, yeah, so that's happened. So the only seat right now that's not technically confirmed is mm-hmm. uh, Hamilton's. Still no? Still, It's still technically in contract negotiation. They announced today he's going to be knighted. Uh, that's so right. Sir Lewis Hamilton. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, technically they his seat is is not totally confirmed yet, so um yeah he's announced that like yeah i'm going to be driving for them we just haven't made it official yet type thing i mean he's kind of said he's kind of come out and said that so i'm sure it'll be hamilton it's just he's probably not going to get the pay that he wants mm-hmm. um and you know after seeing you know what somebody as cheap as george russell could do uh in the same car you know i think that's uh that kind of hurt his contract negotiations which i'm sure is why he came back too early um you know, to race the last weekend. Yeah. He, he even said, he's like, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent. And you know, the car feels different. And I just don't feel good. And he didn't do well at all. Um, you know, that's why Verstappen won the race. Um, but uh, Hamilton just was, was bad. But at the same time, if George Russell had gotten in the car and then did really well again, I mean, Hamilton kind of got super lucky that, that George Russell didn't win. Although he certainly proved that he could win. Right. Just, not getting a trophy. So if he can do that two weekends in a row, then I think that would really, really hurt Hamilton. So that's at least my, my conspiracy theory on this is that <laughs> I guess as Hamilton wanted to get back in the seat and not give George Russell another chance to show that it's not Hamilton. It's the car, you know? Right. Right. No, I mean, I, I kind of tend to agree with you. Um, I mean, what do you think? I mean, uh, man, I was rooting so hard for George Russell to win I don't even remember. I was, I was screaming at the, at the at the TV. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, like I I wasn't watching the race live, but I was I was uh, following live updates on online. It was like, you know, Botas, then Russell, Botas, Russell. They were just trading the the lead, and I was like, oh man, this is exciting! Like, go George, go go go, you know. And then I mean, well, so actually, George Russell, I think, came in sixth or something like that for most laps led of the season because <laughs> that's right the whole race basically from start until start until pit stop error mm-hmm. 
He led the whole race until roughly the last like 10 laps. They called him in for a safety pit stop. They didn't need to do it, but they wanted him on fresher tires for the restart, right? Mm -hmm. So they call him in and they later said, Toto said that it was an issue with the radios, that the radios weren't working to pit, but they Mm -hmm. were working to the car. So when they called George in, pit crew wasn't ready for him. They grabbed Valtteri Bottas's tires threw them on Russell's car, which is you're not allowed to do because there's certain tire allocations for each driver. So although they put the right, I think it was like mediums or whatever they're going on, they put the right compound, they put the wrong person's tires. The tires are all serial coded and Mm -hmm. and designated to each driver. So you can't share even with the teammates. Um, And then both tasks, they did that, but then they realized the mistake while he was still in pits, took the tires off, and then put the good ones or put his same old tires back on. So he came in on old tires. They put fresh ones on, realized they put the wrong fresh ones on. They're like, Oh, these are George's tires. So they, before releasing them, they took them off and then just put the old tires back in the car. So it was like a minute pit stop almost. Mm-hmm. And then, um, then they called George and they said, look, you got to come back in. We, we got to, we got to put you on different tires. So he, so he dropped down to, I forget what it was, something like sixth place with like, 10 laps to go or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then he charged back hard and he was, he got to, I think second place or something like that, but he was like clearly on pace to win. Mm-hmm. Like he, he was so much faster than first and second place. And he just had to basically maintain and, and, and make the pass happen. He would have had it. Uh, and then he gets a flat. So then uh, one of the tires blows on him. So he has to come into pits, gets a new tire. Then he goes basically to last place. Mm-hmm. And he fought all the way back to, I think he ended in like sixth with like 10 laps to go. I mean, he passed, you know, 10 cars or whatever it was. Right. Um, and, and made it back to sixth. So what I think he showed is he can, he, all the starts were really good. He had really good mm-hmm. starts, uh, really good qualifying. He got a lap here. He, he led, he led the race and he kept saying on the radios, let me know when I can push, let me know what I can push. And he was still clear, you know, way out of DRS range from both tests the whole race. Um, and then, you know, he showed that, okay, mid-pack, can he fight his way back to the front? Yes. And then back of the pack, can he fight his way back through from the back of the pack? And I think they said, like, best you can hope for is sixth or fifth or whatever it was. And that's what he ended up getting. So, um, you know, it was, it was I, I think he showed everything that a world champion driver should need to show. Um, and I think he drew, he drove, uh, flawlessly and then he scored his first points, right? Although it wasn't a, a podium, it was, uh, it was still technically his first points. So that was great. But then it was in danger of losing those points because of the violation of the wrong tires. Cause he was driving mm-hmm. on both Tassa's tires for a while. Uh, but what they ended up doing is they find the team. I forget how much it was. Um, but it, was a, it ended up being a team monetary penalty. Okay. Um, for, for making the mistake. So, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's good of the, the stewards to do that. Um, would you say that Mercedes looked like a bunch of fracking wankers? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine that, that being Gunther's team or Gunther's team or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, Mercedes and then, you know, the next race, um, cause it was a double stack they did. They double stacked George and, and Botas right behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it was totally a safety thing. They didn't need to pit them. But they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, screw it. It's a pit. It's a safety car. Why don't we do it this way? We'll have a nice restart. 
right? That's the only reason they did it, and then they screw it up. And uh, the following weekend, they did another safety car double stack pit stop, flawless, you know, like two seconds per car. It was like perfectly executed. And, um, you know, I was just seeing all the memes of, you know, oh, George Russell seeing Mercedes totally nail the, uh, the, the, the double stack the weekend after they screw up him. So, yeah, yeah. Really. I mean, George, I mean, he did as, as best he could. It was clearly going to be his race and it was a hundred percent, um, just the team's fault, you know, or yeah. I guess the radio's failing fault if you will, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So there kind of... That led to all the conspiracy theories. Right. Well, Hamilton talked to them ahead of time and said, you know, don't let them win or whatever, you know. So yeah. I don't believe that stuff, but it was super unfortunate. Yeah. Um, super exciting stuff. Oh, and then there's the whole, the Haas driver, right? Have you been? Oh, yeah. Following <laughs> that? So, uh, I, I keep saying Marzipan, but that's not it. Uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure how to say his name, Mazepin or whatever. But uh, yeah, so for those listeners who weren't following, uh, the new Haas driver who just got promoted to Haas, uh, Haas team for 2021 uh, to replace Grosjean and Magnussen, um, he posted a video of him in a car <laughs> with a bunch of you know kids his age. And he reaches back and, and gropes one of the female's chest in the back seat, and she flips him off. And he posted it to Twitter or Instagram or whatever site people are using. And um, yeah, so you know that that doesn't look well for somebody who's you know a worldwide representative for a team. Um, yeah. So they just posted Gunther posted <laughs> that he will be handling it internally. And that they don't want to make any more comment about it. So uh, he didn't lose his seat as much as people said he should. Um, and uh, yeah, so I guess that that was kind of it. It was it was sort of a non-event in the news because they didn't really comment or say anything. They just said it would be handled internally. But you know, the 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 world of the fans and social media has been blown up about that. Yeah. Do you have any opinions about that? Yeah, I think it's. I, I can't imagine another driver doing that, right? I mean, you're you're definitely held to a different caliber when you have all these lights and cameras and other things pointing at you, right? Um, you know, it, it, he said, "Oh, it's a friend. It's a joke between us. Whatever, right?" You know, it's it's, and then there's, "Well, was she paid to say that?" You know, who knows? Because you know, it's 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 one of those like, I mean, this guy's basically another Lance Stroll, right? It, he's it's it's daddy's money, and that's what got him the seat and things like that. He's an average driver in F two, um, but um, uh, so it's one of those things like you can't afford to not be likable, you know, because you're already you know you're already gonna have that stigma coming in here, and then you do this stuff. So um, honestly, I would have loved to have seen him lose the seat over that. Mm. Um, as much as I don't like this whole cancel culture thing that we have, um, I just, I just, I was not excited about him getting it. So I'm just totally being biased because I'm thinking like, you know, let's say not that this would ever happen, but let's say Lando Norris did something like that, right? Like a driver I yeah. really like. You yeah. Know, I would say, well, that's not like him. You know, we can't, you know, you, you shouldn't fire him over that. It's probably what I'd be saying. Um, but not knowing much about this driver other than, this video and this poor judge of character that he has, it's kind of like, Oh dude, this is just bad judge of character. You're kind of being a jerk. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, why would you post this? Why do you think that this is acceptable to post or whatever? So, um, yeah, I think I think it just shows really, really poor judge of character. Um, so I would have been fine if they fired him. Yeah. What are your thoughts? I see you thinking. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking because I don't really have a strong opinion either way about things. I mean, I was kind of perusing some of the comments on social media that people were were saying, and you watched some the video. People, no, no, I don't. I don't feel the need to. Like, I'm just, you know, I mean, just just reading the the articles and stuff um, are is good enough for me, I guess. I'm not really. I don't have the. I mean, maybe if it was a, a higher profile person, I would be a lot more interested in it. Um, I mean, truthfully, even if it, I mean, truthfully, even if it were Orlando Norris, I don't know if I would watch the video, but if it was like, yeah, like Botas or Lewis Hamilton or Danny Ricardo or Max Verstappen, like those guys who have been around for a while and are more established, then it would really pick my interest. I'd be like, whoa, what the heck's going on? You know, I mean, a young guy like Lando Norris, it's like, okay. I wouldn't, it, it, it's not expected of him, but it's like, he's, he's, he's a lot younger and he hasn't been around as long as, as those other guys, you know, Verstappen, Ricardo, Hamilton, like those guys are, are like, you know, the old guard and Lando Norris is, is like the new, the new young kid kind of, kind of thing. So it, it wouldn't be more acceptable. It wouldn't be more expected, but how do I say it? Like, I guess more likely because of his age, maybe. I don't know. Um, as far as like what the result or like punishments should be, I I don't know. Some people on social media are like, oh, like everything in F1 is so is so you know uh, curated these days, and just like you know smiling at the camera and the glitz and glamour, and like what about the days of James Hunt, you know the the good old days, and you know why is it such a big deal kind of thing. And, you know, I'm just, you know, that's one of those things that makes you go, hmm, right? You just go, hmm, you know, interesting. Like, where, where is that, like, is there room for that bad boy culture in, in F1? You know, is there room for a bad guy, a bad boy in F1 for people to root for or against, you know, as opposed to, like, the good guy? Um, you know, I mean, I think Danny Ricardo kind of is a little bit of that, like, bad boy kind of, fills that bad boy kind of role, um, you know, juxtaposed with, with Botas, who, you know, never says anything ever <laughs> yeah. kind of thing. You know, like Danny Ricardo or Kimi Raikkonen, those guys kind of fill that role, I think. Um, we'll yeah, I mean, that. everyone was bringing up James Hunt with this, but I think it's it's very different because James Hunt was a guy that women loved, lusted after and throw themselves at, right? Where this is... Yeah somebody who is kind of groping an unwanting person, right? So it's it's a, it's a lot creepier than I think like a James Hunt scenario. And I think Danny Ricardo is probably the closest to James Hunt right now that we have uh, out there, right? He's like, yeah, I'm a good looking guy. And he jokes around a lot and stuff like that. But um, yeah, this was just like, it was, yeah, I did watch the video and it was just like, yeah, it was, it, you could tell that they were joking, but at the same time it was like, yeah, it was a, little weird you know i don't know a lot of a lot of you know I'm, I'm super looking forward to this survive the drive documentary from netflix i really hope like hell that they've 
didn't take a break for this year because there's been so much drama. I think with people losing seats, teams being bought out, you know, teams, uh, you had Claire Williams leave earlier this year and, and Williams being bought out. Um, just, you know, so much, so much stuff going on this season from, uh, you know, outside of the track perspective on the track. It's kind of boring because it's, you know, it's Hamilton, both tasks for stopping every single race. I mean, right. not every single race, right? Monza was pretty cool and there's some other stuff, but you know, just generally speaking, it's, uh, it's all the stuff outside of the track that's been super interesting to follow this year. So I think yeah, that yeah. would be awesome. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm really hoping that they, they've they been uh, doing they're doing another season of that show. Um, I keep checking Netflix, and I don't see any new episodes. Um, I don't know why I keep expecting new episodes, but I, I, keep, I keep checking all the same. Ah, it's like opening your fridge and expecting, you know, something to be there. That's true. When you're when you're hungry, although I think that's more of you're trying to see if your standards have decreased enough to eat what you saw last time. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's like ah, I passed on those leftover mashed potatoes the first time. Yeah, but I might be hungry enough for them now. Exactly. All right, everybody. At this time, I would like to introduce our guest for this podcast episode. We are very grateful to him for coming onto our podcast, especially with a three-hour time difference. Uh, most of the time on this podcast, we like to invite guests who are uh, very local to the Connecticut area or the Northeast. But um, I think for this episode, I really wanted to um, to pick the brain of our guest, um, who is based on the West Coast in Portland, Oregon. You might have heard this gentleman on another podcast called Brap Talk that's all about motorcycles. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome onto the podcast, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! <laughs> that that might have been longer than my uh, my co-host. Uh, that was pretty good. That was impressive, Kyle. Sorry. That was pretty great. <laughs> the only reason I stopped is because my wife just told me to shut up because the babies are sleeping in the next room. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, See, this is <laughs> we're just good for causing trouble. That's the problem with me recording with these big headphones. Is like I can't really hear myself correctly, so I don't know how loud I am like normal. All right. <laughs> I heard your wife that time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Shaheen, welcome. Thanks so much for 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 coming on. I feel like because I listened to to you on Brap Talk, I know more about you maybe than you would know about us at this time fair to say i feel like i should interview you guys maybe maybe some someday so i mean i've um i met jensen so so for those of you who are listening to our podcast um and don't know um but shaheen's um co-host on brap talk podcast is jensen beeler who operates asphalt and rubber which is a motorcycling like blog and online magazine kind of thing I've met Jensen a couple times before, actually. Jensen had a different podcast uh, previous to Brab Talk called Two Enthusiasts, and I had like sent in questions to that podcast by recording. And then when I visited Portland several years ago, I linked up with um, with Jensen there and got to meet him in person and stuff. So, um, so yeah, I've been I've been to Moto Corsa as well. Well, I mean, you got to come back. It's the beauty of Moto Corsa. We're all about the the repeats. Yeah, I know. So, um, so yeah, um, just really quick, Shaheen. So I'm in the midst of starting a um, like a motorsport bar and restaurant, essentially. Right. So you're you're gonna sort of set the trend and uh, 
start like kind of a cool hangout place, uh, sort of let's call it a safe space for motorcyclists that can yeah. hang out and have an Hey man, that's a that's that I have found that that is more often than not uh, more desired than you may think it is. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, even here in Portland, there's plenty of hangouts and plenty of cool bars and restaurants that people like to go to. But a couple of years ago, I, I just started doing like this first Thursday coffee thing, and it was just like five or six of us, and then. You know, the next month, like two dozen people showed up. And then the month after that, there was like 50 people there. And it's like, all right, where are these people? But it was awesome. It was cool to have all these people there that that were looking for an outlet and a spot to hang out and meet new people and, you know, go motorcycling. And I think for me, I had the you know distinct privilege of working at the dealership at Moto Corsa. And so being able to tell people like, hey, yeah, you should join us on first Thursday of every month. We, you know, ride together and then we hang out and drink some coffee. And it was like such a stereotypical Ducati thing, right? Ah, I just parked the Ducati in front of a coffee shop and, you know, talk about the rides that'll come and the rides that'll be. But it's, it's just such a great forum. It's a great thing that people look forward to, especially nowadays when we're just plastered in front of our screens all day long, especially now with COVID doubly so. But um, I, I think I think you got a cool idea. I think motorsports, you know, the beauty of it is I think the car side is way bigger than motorcycle side. I mean, there's something like three or four percent of, you know, North Americans ride motorcycle and everybody drives a car. Um, So, you know, it's we're always joking around about, you know, the YouTube side of things. Anybody can start like a YouTube channel about cars and suddenly you've got like 100,000 viewers on the motorcycle side. It's just like, who watches this? Oh, it's just a couple of us. And we're all so opinionated about the thing we love and the kind of bike that we like and the kind of riding style that we have. So. You know, for me, I found that uh, just having us all come together is such a neat and fun thing because we're all motorheads. We all have the same basic passions. One happens two wheels, one happens four wheels, but ultimately we're all speaking the same language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I know that you and Jensen talk a lot about um, PIR, which is Portland International Raceway. Um, Lime Rock Park is kind of like PIR for us, um, but unfortunately there's no bike activity there it's strictly cars only for now um so yeah i mean the the cars is is definitely a lot bigger especially here um new jersey's got a lot of bike action relatively but um connecticut and new england not not quite so much i mean there is you know stuff at um new hampshire motor speedway and like there's laconia bike week and stuff but um aside from that there's not a whole lot of action going on um so yeah, we're just, uh, I don't know where I was going with that thought, but yeah. I think, I think it's easy for motorcyclists to feel a little bit disenfranchised, but you know, Laconia is actually such a great example. It's, it's amazing to me that nobody really talks about the Northeast motorcycle scene, except for once a year in June in Laconia. And it's so mm-hmm. big, it's humongous. It's been going on forever and ever and ever. And so right. you got an audience and they've got like that one thing that happens once a year. It's not like Florida, right? You know, they've got pretty much decent riding weather all year long and they've got two big motorcycle, uh, uh, I don't know, I guess days or weeks, you got Biketoberfest and uh, uh, what's the other one? Bike Week, March Bike Week. Um, but Laconia is is such a prime example for me that oh, there's a huge audience out there and they really need something. And so if you guys come along and build this kind of, you know, kind of a let's 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 use grand grand words. It's called the Mecca of motorcycling there. Right. It's a, mm-hmm. it may not be kind of a cool hit place if you think about it now, but that's how it begins. You, you have a such a unique opportunity to be the first one and before you know it i i think the trick there is to not spread yourself too thin and to kind of have like a vision and stick to that one vision 
that's sort of what we do at Moto Corsa. So, I mean, for your listeners that don't know who I am, I'm, I'm the general manager of uh, the number one Ducati dealership in North America. And we're in Portland, Oregon. That shouldn't be the number one dealership ever. So, again, proves the point. We, we have a brand and we work really hard to represent that brand as best as possible instead of spreading ourselves thin and doing a bunch of other things. Uh, are we the biggest, most money producing dealership? Nope. There's plenty. <clears throat> Excuse me. There's plenty of those. But I think for for what we do in in this particular lifestyle and sport, as you've probably heard us say a thousand times on Brap Talk, it's it's all about the experience and it's all about the engagement and it's so um, it's so unique to the motorcycle side of the motorsports where the owners of said bikes, whether it's Harley's or sport bikes or dirt bikes, they're super passionate about that genre. But they all get together in one little spot and they all have they have the exact same language. So I, I'm I'm kind of excited about what you are uh trying to achieve i'm i'm always looking forward to doing a big long ride uh mm-hmm. i didn't do it last year but man i'll ride out there to come see what's up <laughs> yeah for sure uh, yeah we we kind of mentioned new jersey a, a couple times but i think i mean there's new jersey motorsports park where moto america goes um there's definitely like a solid scene even in motocross like motocross or uh, road racing in new jersey and uh, actually, coincidentally, we were supposed to have a guest on our podcast who's from New Jersey uh, last time we recorded. Um, he's a Moto America super sport writer now um, oh. who, who shall remain nameless uh, <laughs> because he decided not to show up for the interview. I, I felt a little miffed, so maybe I feel OK with saying it was a little unprofessional. But it's like if, if you don't want to do the interview, you can just say no or like you can cancel the interview. But it's like to correspond day of and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, like, I'll be there 8.30, all right, and then just, like, not be available and, you know, ghost us. That was <laughs> that was a little irritating. But I was hoping to pick his brain about how he came up through the ranks of New Jersey Mini GP um, and, and has had a pretty successful career, even internationally. So, but unfortunately, that, that hasn't happened. It's so hard, man. Uh, I mean, I've watched, we have a couple of local proper fast dudes that we're friends with and they race, you know, they, they race on a national level, but that's all out of their own pockets. They, I mean, they beg, borrow and steal from anyone they can to get any kind of sponsorship. Uh, and it's, it's hard work. I mean, you're putting yourself out all the time. I, I uh, not to defend his action of, of ghosting you, but likely that dude's got so many things on his plates. It's not even funny. And so, uh, you know, even our local dudes, like I can't get the guy to necessarily answer me once in a while but when he needs something he's just banging on my door as hard as he can and i get it he's he's trying to run a business that's that's it's a loss leader for them they don't make any money and the hope is that they get to the point where there's so much more available and they can do stuff so uh yeah it's it's hard work the ones that we know here locally uh, i'm sure you've heard of our uh hashtag bratty little stepsister we didn't ask for hannah locally mm-hmm. she is she is so talented and so fast and such a ferociously awesome human being but you just watch her. It's her lifeblood. She she lives for it. She It costs her everything to do it. She doesn't make mm-hmm. anything from it. At the end of the day, she gets to have a little plaque <laughs> that says I've won, right? And right, you got, right. You got that uh, rite of passage, I guess. But yeah. it again, goes back to saying it's this passion. It's all about passion. Unbelievable what people... Right, right. No, I totally get it. I mean, I think when I... My first Moto America race that I went to was actually at Road America in Wisconsin, Um, Because I was living in Chicago at the time. But, like, I remember walking around the paddock and just seeing all the, like, you know, non-factory riders and everything. And it was just like, I was like, dang, this is this is really a lifestyle here. You know, I I, I went back back home and I told my wife, Sarah, like, this reminds me of, like, you know, rodeo people, people who are really passionate about doing 
doing rodeo stuff. Right. You know, it's not it's not gimmicky or kitschy. They're like really serious about it. That's like their life. You know, the horses and uh, you know doing all those things. It's very very much their lifestyle, their passion. So it's anytime I meet these people, all I can imagine is like, man, where do you make the money? Like, where are you coming up with funds to do this? It's, uh, it's not cheap. I mean, think about just on the most granular side of the tires, oil, fuel. Just those four things cost a ton of money to you know come up with all the time. Never mm-hmm. mind everything else, like the maintenance of the bike. You got to break that motor down every couple of races. Ugh, man, I have so much admiration for them. The club here, I mean, they, uh, you know, they all want to come to each other, and they realize it's sort of a level playing field, and so they always try to help each other get to that level so that there's more, you know, there's more at the playing field, and they can have fun together. But uh, I can only imagine on the national side, it just must be so cutthroat. Mm-hmm. Um, anything, Chess? You want to? Yeah, no, yeah. So I want to. Uh, I was letting you kind of get your your questions in, but um, no, I want to know like so we talk a lot about racing here and things like that. So how is um, uh, Moto Corsa right now involved in racing as far as promoting racing or um, you know promoting your brand at races? You know anything that you you're doing now that's kind of um, helping them the the racing industry. Well, of course, it's not that involved. We're we're such a small dealership and trying to stay afloat. Uh, and, you know, maintain margin. What we do is with the local racing, uh, you know, uh, group, OMRA, uh, make sure we sponsor a particular uh, class, you know, whether it's sport or open open or whatever. Uh, and, and they usually will send us a proposition of, hey, we need this much money just to be able to kind of get the thing going. And we try to meet or exceed that at, at least every year. Um, particular riders will come to us and we'll help them out. More often than not, we end up being, you know, a, a place where discounts heavily their, you know, their wear and tear, so tires and oil and like that. Um, a lot of those racers are friends with a personal level and with our mechanics and a personal, uh, sort of off the record, we'll have them come in after work and we'll work on their bikes. One of our and help them out one another. But as Motocorsa as a brand, because it's sort of a business that's owned by a larger corporation, it's kind of like, well, sir, is by giving you X amount of dollars as a sponsor so that, you know, our name's out there. And then I have present, presenting the case to my boss of going, well, this is uh, a advertisement. <laughs> so. They have to, I mean, they look at investment, like, where is this, how is this money? How is this bringing us? Um, club racing is so small that it doesn't have a, um, you know, audience necessarily, live audience. In COVID, there, there's no audience at all. So what we do at best is keep trying to feed it as much money as afford to feed it so that it may stay alive and keep going on. Honestly, if you want to look at it from sort of an organic standpoint, if we have people riding, that means you have more business at some point, right? It means you as a racer will come to us and you're going to buy gear from us. And so the cycle will continue. And the best way of doing that is maintain a very, very open uh, forum for them to come in, be able to save a little bit of money, have us show up to their races. Uh, we have our apparel people that can Omer race. These guys get up at like five in the morning and show up, you know, do gear check, make sure everybody's teched up and, you know, safe and ready to go. So a lot of uh, volunteer times by us, and a little bit of monetary sponsorship that the stays open. And we are but one of maybe two dozen businesses that try to help out in that. Yeah. And I think you hit on something really strong there is, is doing what you can to help them keep it open. Right. So I know like, you know, there's, there's different um, organizations nearby and they, they donate money to our, um, you know, like uh, club uh, track days, things like that. They'll donate money toward the track days uh, to make the entry fee a lot lower. And that keeps people going because, you know, I'm going to go to the track, I'm going to run through my brakes on my Jaguar, and then I'm going to go to FCP and, and buy new brakes from them, right? And then right. because they did three track days, I'm going to want a, uh, you know, a premature oil change. So I'm going to go to FCP to get my oil or whatever, you know, so whatever 
whatever company it is. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Anything you can do to get to make it easier for people to go out there and use up consumables and get the the urge to want to go out and buy another bike and right. uh, you know buy more gear and things like that. Uh, I think it keeps the community very active and healthy. Sure. It's a it's a very engagement heavy community and it requires that. I mean, kind of going back to what you guys have in you know this uh, petrol head business. The idea is to keep people engaged because that sort of especially in the motorcycling side of things, dream alive, right? Maybe at that point, I mean, not to get overly organic, but like you go there with your dad, right? He's 17 years old and these cool dudes and they're different kind of motorcycles and cars and you go, hey, I want to do this. And that's sort of how the cycle, you know, that's where I was as a kid. I got to see things, smell the fuel and exhaust and a part of it and annoy the people bonding together and saying, I want to do that. That's really cool. And, you know, it's sort of something that the motorcycling community, uh, not the community, I would say the OEM side is kind of lost sight of because they get so, this is my opinion, I think they, they're so lost on the money side of it and trying to keep the business going that they forget that the whole point motorcycling exists at all in the Western society is as a luxury item that people aspire to own something to. And part of that ownership is, you know, the dream of going to clubs, races, being a part of a race and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's keeping that going and being able to feed into it as best as we can, whether individually or as and allowing things like local, you know, race clubs to stay alive. It's so important. Um, <clears throat> so, Shaheen, tell us a little bit about your history um, with motorcycles and working in the motorcycle industry. Uh, my history is not quite as a lot of my friends who've been riding since four years old, but um, I, I'm, I'm originally from Iran. Uh, my dad used to ride motorcycles before I was born and then a little bit after. So I got to have these rides. Like, think, think of the stereotypical picture of a Middle Eastern kid on the back of an old Kawasaki 350 with his dad. Like, that was me. And, you know, uh, yeah, the, the smell of two-stroke makes me really excited just because of that. I remember the child riding with my dad on that old Kawasaki. But um, I, I got to be uh, um, involved in the motorcycle in 2005. I decided to, you know, I wanted to be a mechanic and couldn't really get into the mechanic side of things. Uh, the general manager of the dealership that I walked in could be a mechanic said, you'd be better off as a sales guy. And so I started doing sales and just, you know, stayed there all the time. Uh, it was more about the social aspect and about the hangouts and about the clubs, and, you know, getting people together. I don't care who you are, what, what, what walk of life you're from, um, they, are, they are this commonality that everybody together, a guy, girl, black, white, doesn't matter who you're from, where you're from. Um, and so I really dug that part of it, especially since I started my motorcycling career in Florida. And it can be a little bit of a weird place if you've never been, but it was still neat to see all these different people kind of get to uh, have this weird, awesome common bond, whether you were a 55-year-old uh, doctor or a 20-year-old student. Um, so... I've been in the sales side of these since for 16 years now. Uh, about six years ago, I moved to Portland, Oregon uh, to help run Motocorsa, as the Ducati dealership out here. And, you know, it's such a neat and amazing experience, that dealership. Uh, if you haven't been, definitely go. I am extremely uh, fortunate to be able to be a part of this particular community. Portland, Oregon is home to some of the hardiest motorcyclists I've ever met in my life it rains like half the year here. So we kind of accept that fact and put on our waterproof gear, get on our bikes and go. Um, so, you know, kind of neat to have year round motorcycle. I mean, you mentioned that um, there's a lot of hardy and, and hardcore motorcyclists um, there. Actually, first I want to mention that um, Moto Corsa like is a, um, I mean, I, I remember the, the experience so well that actually I, I'm going to use Moto Corsa's like interior 
design as like a as like a, a reference for when when eventually Petrolhead Cafe becomes a brick and mortar space. So um, I'm really glad that there's photos of the inside on on Google Maps. So because um, my my sister's gonna do the interior design. She's an interior designer, and um, you know I've I've shown her like Moto Corsa. I've shown her um, the inside of the Revzilla Gear Boutique down in Philadelphia. So right. a lot of these a lot of these like already established uh, places that provide the consumer experience or the, the community experience is, is, is the vibe that I'm, I'm trying to replicate. So, um, so yeah, it, it was, I've only been to Moto Corsa once. It was very brief, but I, it was memorable for sure. It, it's, it's very, it's very cool to, to hear all about all the stuff going on with Portland and motorcyclists and, and all of these activities that are going on. I mean, you said you have, um, you know, your friend Hannah, um, there's, there's a lot going on with, uh, activities at Portland International Raceway. Um, mm-hmm. like there is, there's, there's none of that really in Connecticut. Um, I don't even know if there's any of that in a, in a larger metro area, like, like Boston. And I mean, potentially there's something like that in New York city, but I don't, I don't know. New York city is just, it's just like city, city, city. Everything's about the city. Right. It stays in the city. Right. You know, so it's it's not like it's not as I mean, Portland is much more like outdoorsy kind of kind of people. It's it's more like Denver in that regard, whereas, you know, I don't Boston is not doesn't really have that vibe as much. Maybe um, and New York definitely doesn't. It's very like so, so cosmopolitan, so urban, um, you know, that that, you know, there, there are little pockets of, of motorcycle enthusiasts. Oops. Can you hear us? Yep, I hear you. Oh, okay. We lost your video. Okay. Um, anyway, yeah, there's, there's like motorcycle stuff going on in New York, but it's, it's not as diverse in like the activities. Um, you know, it's, it's just a little bit different. So, um, and then, and then again, there's like nothing of that, like not really there, you know, I feel like if there is, if there is a very robust motorcycle scene in Connecticut, I feel like I would have heard about it by now. Um, so I feel like part of my purpose in this business that I'm that I'm generating is is to establish that that and 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 eventually hope to like you know Portland the motorcycle culture is kind of like that's like the dream for me that's like the dream for us is that is that culture um, I mean do you have an like any idea as to why Portland is such a good city for motorcyclists There's so many clubs and so many activities and and stuff going on there. I, I don't I don't think I could really pinpoint it, but I you know what I know is this: the people that I've met here, I think you hit it right on the nail. You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of out allows you to go out, and there's a lot of dirt bikers here because of that, a lot of adventure bikers because of that. But Portland as a whole has kind of like this gritty attitude of like you know the bar and restaurant scene and the tatted up Danner boot wearing you know cool hipster you know riding a cafe racer type thing. That that image is pretty interesting how that's prevalent here in Portland still to this day. I mean, when we do our, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the the distinguished gentleman's ride that happens yeah. every year, but like, yeah. you know, when we do it here in Portland, like when it rains, there's still like three, 400 motorcycles that show up and they're all these old badass, you know, cafe racer stall bikes. So, so here in Portland, uh, we have a thing, a place called Sea Coffee. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sea Um, CC's Coffee? Yeah. So nope. it's, a, it's a huge motorcycle cafe and it's sort of renowned uh, throughout the country as being an awesome hangout for a motorcyclist. And okay. it started out maybe like 10 plus years ago. And, you know, I don't want to give uh, the guy who started it all the credit, 
but he was a pretty big uh, pushing force behind, you know, sort of that urban motorcycle scene that you see a lot of here in Portland. He's definitely a big part of it. His name is Thor. Uh, he did. He started the one show that happens every year, going on for I think eight years now. Yep. Uh, in, in February of all of all the months, you know, like in the coldest, wettest month here in Portland, um, and it's a big, big deal. Thousands of people show up to see that thing. So that's why I was saying to you earlier. I feel like you don't think there is a real um, not a market, but if there isn't a place like that, an outlet like that where you are from and you're starting to do it, then you've got a really cool responsibility and a really cool luxury of saying, we're the ones, we're going to set the tone here. We're going to set what needs to happen here. And we're going to set this really cool scene for you guys to come out and join us. It's going to be a really cool, safe, awesome place, fully inclusive. Everyone's welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's fresh air. It doesn't already exist. I would wager you money that there are already little pockets in your area that hang out together, ride together, you know, dine together, and they have motorcycles in common. I would bet big money that that's already <clears> – <throat> they may not have a centralized look and go to and call home, and maybe that's where you come from. Yeah. No, it's um, – I mean, actually, uh, a few episodes ago, we had uh, a guest on the podcast. Um, her name is Kate Smars, and she's the, the leader of this little moped club called the Dirty Burning Broads. And, uh, they, yeah, so, um, I mean, they, they're dirty burning cause they're, they're two strokes, uh, mopeds that they ride around. Um, so yeah, I mean, there, there, there is a like little, little tiny, tiny pockets, like little scenes here and there. Um, but it, 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 it has been a little challenging to find at this point. Mostly it's just, you know, you see them pop up on social media and you're like, oh, that's cool. I didn't know about that. I mean, that's exactly how I found um, Kate and the and the moped club um, is just just somehow got referenced right. or tagged in social media or something. So, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that like, you know, like the, the even even the online presence uh, of Petrolhead Cafe can kind of be that that catalyst. Like maybe we tag somebody and somebody sees it or you know, whatever, even if it's not us, you know, like I hope to interview, um, the guys of spark cycle works and they're, you know, downstate making electric bicycles and e-mopeds and stuff. I'm hoping to interview them at some point. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be like strictly motorcycles or like race cars or whatever. It's just like, right. you know, it's all like a slow build up of the networking and, and the community building. I mean, part of your cafe could also be a little room that, you know, once or once a month, you have a live recording of your show, right? We did yep. that at Motocorso once when it used to be Jensen and Quentin at Tuzia's podcast. They came in and, man, we had like 80 people at the shop just excited to watch this thing happen because they're all listening. Right, um, right. That's that's part of the dream. I mean, the, the, the dream is to eventually have like a pretty big space where we're not just going to do a podcast, but... You know, we can have little like how-to nights where you know people, you know, new riders can learn how to change their oil. We can actually bring a bike in there, put it on a lift, um, maybe do some like fabrication classes for for people or even young kids. Um, you know, I was hoping like if we can get young 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 women, like girls, maybe like middle school, high school, to get interested in fabrication. I thought it would be fun to have like a after-school kind of uh, thing on Friday afternoons called Fab Fridays. Um, <laughs> awesome. You know, so that's that's like, yeah, the dream isn't just to to have food um, and like a gathering place or like a like a kind of sports bar to watch racing. It's it's like that's that's the initial startup is like we have the food to bring in the general public and have some kind of revenue to keep the the business going, but then eventually branch out into the into the um, 
the uh, the space for for working on a bike or or whatever a space for maybe a little bit of uh, retail for motorcycle gear maybe like a little gear boutique you know part of the shop so like that 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 will come eventually in phases for the business but that's that's the dream is to really yeah like you were saying um, and for sure we we definitely plan to have some some live uh, recordings someday. Yeah, I think it'd be awesome. I mean, then you could also be, I just imagine you guys even having like a uh, a schedule, a calendar where you can say, hey, you know, this night is so-and-so uh, writer club hangout. Before you know it, I bet you packed up and want to utilize your space for whatever their needs are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I've been very encouraged on this, this journey, I guess, um, because, yeah, people... Petrol heads, uh, you know, will, will come out of the woodwork and you, where, you, where you least expect it. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that was, that was kind of what I was thinking, too, is, you know, what is the Northeast missing? And, you know, if uh, and you, I guess you sort of answered this. I was going to say, if you could put yourself in, let's say, Kyle's shoes <clears throat> of I'm launching this. How do I want to make this really, uh, um, you know, a keystone in the community? Right. How do I? How do I make this the go-to destination that everybody in the Northeast knows about? Uh, I got to go to Petrol Head Cafe and and get my my motorsport fix. I think I think like I said earlier, I would stick sort of one idea and become really 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 good at it. Uh, make it where people want to do that. You know, I don't know if your ultimate goal is to be more like I don't know, say like an Ace Cafe, a place where it's sort of a hangout and uh, sort of a coffee shop that motorcyclists go to. Or do you want to be a forum where people go and hang out and they'll be able to do things like learn how to work on their motorcycle? The the thing that could be easily done is overextending yourself, doing too much and not necessarily eating at one certain thing. Uh, and that, that could be a detriment to any business, really. So I think what I would say is, you know, in this particular endeavor, what I would suggest is figure out what your strength, you know, strong for, figure out what the, you guys are very seasonal. Uh, so, you know, what can you do in the office? that would invite the motorcyclist to come out and, you know, hang out and kind of get a breath of fresh air and uh, be able to think about what's around the corner in March and April when the weather starts getting better better and they start doing riding stuff. So <clears throat> I think, you know, it's cool to have a clean slate, but I would definitely say, uh, and I'm sure you guys have already done this, figure out what your ultimate goal is, see how you may reach that by doing a couple of things that you do really, really well. Uh, and that would be lucrative for so that the business will last forever um but i think the seasonality of you know where you're at is probably one detrimental issue for motorcyclists in the northeast right you only really have maybe seven or eight months out of the year that that are really really proper riding so you know how do you how do you maximize that how do you capitalize on that best and you know again as we discussed earlier i think motorcyclists more often than not just look for a place to call home and a place that they can call their clubhouse a place that they have uh you know sort of a spot where they can all gather together and celebrate this thing and uh, and i think that that works for all different you know petrol heads and gear heads out there so you know you guys may not necessarily be only for a motorcycle it could be a local bmw club or a miata club or tacoma foreigner club that wants to come hang out and do overland uh, stuff and talk about stuff like that so um i think i think you would probably do best to be that a, a sort of a gathering centralized gathering where everyone in the connecticut area that can go there and say oh yeah this is our clubhouse this is the place we go to grab a bite have a cup of drink and be able to talk uh, other motors motorists and motorcyclists and you know be able to formulate plans of what we're going to do next and what kind of adventure we're going to have i think it's really good advice that you give about not being stretched too thin and not trying to do too many things 
Um, so, but it, but it sounds like if we're just trying to be a hub for all for all petrol heads, basically, that's 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 still okay. That's not stretching ourselves out. Is that okay that we're trying to bring all petrol heads under one roof? I think so. I think okay. so. I think just as a business, you know, you got to decide how you are you going to be a bar or a coffee spot or are you going to lunch and dinner place? Are you going to be a mechanic shop or are you going to teach people how to work on their vehicles? Mm-hmm. That's what I mean by don't stretch yourself too thin. Like I, I would imagine if you guys can be a really awesome coffee shop, then be that, you know, be like a cool coffee slash lunch. Place. I used to have a dream of having like a place like where you're talking about where during the day hours, it was a coffee shop and at night hours, the fall. so right. I was able to still like pay the bill by serving liquid <laughs> if you have enough or not even higher but just give space to a customizer to come build a cool custom motorcycle or a cool custom car while like people are drinking and eating around them because americans love exit they love to be looking at what's going on behind the behind closed doors right right no exa- i mean that's exactly the idea is like coffee shop by day kind of bar at night um that's that's kind of the idea that i'm that i'm trying to go for um yeah, I wonder actually since you mentioned the weather, I just I wonder what the uh because of winter time, like I wonder what the snowmobiling scene is like around here. Um snowmobiling, I mean, I know. all the all the overlanders, I'm sure there's plenty of people there with forerunners and land land rovers that love to go camping. I mean, that's the biggest hottest item around here. Mm-hmm. I just bought a Tacoma and it's unbelievable that it's gone up in valleys. Like everybody wants one. Insane to me. Wow. <clears throat> Anything, Chaz? Um no, do you got your list? You got questions? I mean, I didn't have a ton, ton of questions because we usually. Yeah, usually when we do this, we have. Um, uh, I feel like I'm more the the car guy, right? So like I'm always asking all these car questions and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And then when the motorcycle guy Kyle kind of <laughs> drives through with that. This is a lot of fun because it's it's like all right, like somebody we have somebody on who kind of speaks the motorcycle language. Um, right. You know, I mean, not like it's bad to have, you know, car car people on. I, I've really enjoyed our car people uh, interviews for sure. But I, I can't, like, take a deep dive into MotoGP with, with Chaz <laughs> at this point. Um, you <laughs> I know, can't or, either. That's all Jensen, man. I, I, I've been so busy running this, I haven't even been watching this year. Really, my biggest questions were just, like, uh, a finger on the pulse of, of the Portland motorcycle scene. So, really, I, I just wanted to know, like, what, what right. makes Portland good for motorcyclists and then can that be replicated elsewhere because i think one of the strengths of portland is that it has like a a high population of young adults i mean let's 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 be real and and honest from what i know like young adults tend not to have children maybe they don't own maybe they do maybe they don't own a house so like they're not as attached or tied down i guess with that high a population of young adults in portland you know naturally just a numbers game there's going to be a certain number of people who are into motorcycles and if you have a million people you know who are between age like 20 and 40 you're going to have a bigger motorcycle scene even if it's put like if if 10 percent of a million people are into motorcycles that's a hundred thousand people but like in the hartford area where it's only a hundred thousand people uh you know that 10 percent is significantly smaller like on a pure numbers scale right I think the so, cool thing is that Connecticut isn't that big of a state, so you know you guys aren't that apart from the rest. You can still become that place that everybody goes to. Somehow puts it on the map. Um, it, or Portland uh, is interesting because we have a lot of young professionals because we have companies like Nike, Adidas, Intel, 
Columbia. So there's a lot of a lot of apparel companies and a lot of software companies here, which tend to employ a, a lot of young adults, uh, young professionals, I should. Um, but you know, the counterintuitive part of this whole thing is that. The younger group isn't really the motorcycle. Actually, in, in America in general, the, the, the younger Americans are less out. <clears throat> my average customer, well, although I'm a Ducati dealer, my average customer is 40. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm selling to a more established uh, person who's been, you know, some kind of a manager or a business owner or something, right? They're, they're at a more established point in their lives. I, I have sold, you know, more affordable Japanese motorcycles. And yeah, that tends to draw in a younger crowd in the general thing. But you know, out here, you know, when we go out dirt biking, there's plenty of young people, but there's a lot more people in their 30s and 40s. Nah. Okay. Uh, and those are the ones that are going to come out and drink and be a lot of So from a business standpoint, and, I, and it's so funny when I talk about stuff like that, it makes it, makes it sound so cold-blooded. We're just talking money. Kind of find out demographic. Can they afford to spend that money? <laughs> so, you know, then you sort of start appealing to them. So I think Connecticut, I mean, honestly, that part of the, the country pretty well off. It's a pretty wealthy part of the country. Uh, they're very smart people that, that technically live in that side, I think. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I haven't been there to see what the motorcycle is like, but I have a ton of friends that are in New York City and they all ride. Um, I don't know about clubs necessarily, but the other Ducati in the country is New York City. Mm-hmm. No, I'm saying there's plenty of people in the in that Northeast area that ride motorcycles, and and I think I think you guys definitely are in the right place. Uh, I mean, like even in New York City right now, they're the number one right now in the country in in Ducati. Land is in New York City. Uh, the Triumph dealership over there is killing it. So there's plenty of people in the Northeast, not that far away from you, that ride motor, and you can draw them. Yeah, I mean, yes. It's just like, like culturally, things are a little bit tricky here in that regard. Like, I think the distance between, like, the time and travel between Hartford and New York City is like between Seattle and Portland. Um, but I think culturally, Northeast, like, we're not willing to travel that far. Um, very frequently, <laughs> like I mean, it. That, I mean, that's just my observation. You know, uh, larger states, um, like like Oregon or or Washington State, like yeah, three hours between Seattle and Portland is really not not a big deal for a lot of people. But you know, two and a half hours to and from New York City is a big deal to people out yeah. here. It's just like oh, like two and a half hours. Oh, I got to drive. You know, I mean, I remember when I went to school in Chicago, I had classmates. Um, or I went to college in Chicago, I had classmates who grew up in Illinois and their families would drive to Disney World like like it was no big deal. And I'm just like like different times, man. Yeah, I'm just like, wait a second, like like Connecticut, like nobody would drive down to Florida for Disney World. Like it was like if you can't afford to fly, you're not going to Disney World, you know? So it's 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 just a different different culture up here a little bit. But I, I understand a hundred percent what you're what you're saying i just don't i don't know that we can base i I don't think i wouldn't bet on the success of petrolhead cafe as a business um just on its proximity to to new york or even to new haven i mean hartford new haven is is like its own metro area for tv ratings but Mm -hmm. like it's really like worlds apart you know people don't just like go down to new haven from hartford or from new haven or they don't go to new haven from hartford or vice versa for like a night out necessarily you know it's, it's a little bit different for motorcyclists i mean we we tend to travel on our bikes stupid distances for menial things as long as it's a fun journey to get there right but if you have something to offer as far as like a neat journey to get there maybe that's a, maybe that's an angle 
Um, but to use my own shop as an example again, right? We're 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 the only dealership inside of Portland Metro, like inside of it. There's plenty of dealers outside, just outside of it, because rent is astronomically high. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the thing that makes people from Seattle say come buy motorcycles from me instead of their dealerships in Seattle is that experience level too, right? And the reason I was saying earlier, don't spread yourself too thin is because if you can't concentrate and give someone a crazy awesome experience, why the fuck would they come to you? Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you sell. It doesn't matter what you do. <clears throat> if you don't give an experience, why would I come to you? I can do it online, right? Right. Um, but that's the trick, I think. That's the, the, the cross that most service industry type companies bear is how do i differentiate my how do i make it where i'm an experience how do i make it where these people will get out of the comfort of their home and come to me um and you know maybe it's different with motorcyclists because i'll hop on my bike and ride five five hours for a burger the burger is like an excuse it's just i'm enjoying the ride i want to go do the thing go see some stuff and just get some you know uh some wind time um so I don't know. I, I don't know your area well enough to, to be able to say, yeah, you're going to do awesome with such and such crew. You know that better than I do. Uh, but what I can tell you is as, as someone who runs a business, the thing that I, you know, the point that I drive every day with my employees is be the best version of the thing that you're doing, right? You're here for eight or nine hours a day and I want you to have fun doing it. And so that means I have to hire the right people. I have to have the right product and I have to have the right you know, incentive for them to do the thing. And they do. I'm I'm super lucky. I have an amazing crew that does the job every day really, really well, astoundingly. And does that mean there are, there are not problems? Nope. It's a business. You're gonna have problems every day. You put out little fires every day. Um, It's just part of it. But the customer doesn't have to know that they come in and they have a great time and they leave giving us high fives and thumbs up and sweet. I'm going to come back again. And half the time it's people from the tri city area, which is a three and a half hour drive away or Seattle. It's a two two and a half hour drive away and so on and so forth. So I think you can achieve that. I truly do because you do have in my mind, maybe naively, I think that because there isn't something like that availed to people around your area, it's cool. That's neat. That's unique. And maybe that'll, maybe that'll be the thing that'll be your, uh, the drive towards your success. Mm-hmm. So you like the new Volvos, Shaheen? <laughs> I almost bought one. Uh, I wanted a V70. Uh, I think Volvo wagons are, I don't know why, I think they're gorgeous. Um, I love I love sport wagons a lot. And uh, the V70 specifically was the one that I was gaga over. And then I drove the <clears throat> a three-year-old 2017 Polestar edition, which was just like a little hot rod, a little two-cylinder motor. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, two-liter, four-cylinder motor in it. Uh, and then the new version is a lot more posh and you know much more luxurious, sixty-eight thousand dollar car. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, they're I I think they're real slick. I love them. Yeah, you were saying you know someone that designs them? My cousin, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, no, he um, designed the the new S60 and V60, I think, like the latest models that you'll see on the website and stuff. And um, yeah, he's been with Volvo for ten years. And um, yeah, I think we'll I'm I'm hoping to have him as a guest on the podcast. But he, I mean, right. he. He actually lives in Sweden though, because of of his job. So I don't know how we're gonna do that with with time stuff or what. But um, but yeah, but yeah, he's uh he does that and he also uh fabricates very intricate and fancy toy lightsabers. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he has quite the Star Wars obsession. Oh um, man, you got bar and Star Wars discussion. That could be a three hour show. Oh yeah, I know, I know. So it's um, I remember get like if you ever just if you get together with him and his designer buddies like they just nonstop talk about cars 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 all it's like 
you know, thanks for having me uh, to the barbecue, Johnny. Uh, you know, I heard about nothing else but cars all afternoon. It's a good um, barbecue. Yeah, but it's it. it's it's yeah. not necessarily. It, it's like they're they speak a different language though about when it comes to cars because they know all of these designs and and models and they're always talking about this and that like it's very in inside industry. I mean, I would love to talk about cars for three hours straight, but the stuff the way that they are speaking is just not the language that I that I speak when it comes to cars. Chaz looks excited about that, so <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he's all about the bodywork. You know, he like I don't think he really cares about performance. I mean, he does in a in a way, but not not he he doesn't have that that level of of geekness that he does for for exterior design. Yeah, that's fair. So anything else anybody want to ask? We it is ten thirty our time. Yeah. So. What? No, I'm over here like it's early. It's 11:30. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's I'm I'm just thinking that you you've been gracious enough to give us an hour of your time, Shaheen. So. Yeah, man, um, my yeah if, if you've got a scoot soon that that's 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 cool but is there anything you'd like to to ask us i mean there's more that i certainly could ask you on behalf of our audience but it's it's just tough because i feel like i know a lot about you and your opinions about motorcycles already because of brab talk so it's like i don't know any anything else you'd like to discuss that you wouldn't normally talk about like on on brab talk if you want to talk about cars or anything like that uh well i, I I don't know if that's any excitement to you guys or not, but so I, I bought this Tacoma uh, last month, and I have a whole group of friends here who are. I've always been a sports guy, car guy, uh, before I was, you know, even a motorcycle lover. I've always liked sports cars, and so I got this close to buying a Porsche 911, like a 20-year-old Porsche 911, and mm-hmm. that whole fell through. And so I kind of was trying to figure out what to do and what kind of car to buy because I've gone three years without a car, and. Uh, and then I have all these buddies who are, you know, doing this overlanding thing. And I'm sure everybody at this point knows what that is, but it's basically like going off the beaten path in your truck or SUV and just kind of camping out and, you know, making hot dogs out in the middle of nowhere. I already do that on my motorcycle. So suddenly I was like, well, maybe, maybe I do that on a car. So that's why I bought this Tacoma. And I mean, I've had it for 800 miles and it's already, you know, I've already ordered a set of wheels and tires and suspension and this and that. And it's like, Damn it, man. Why do we not leave well enough alone? Like, it's a really nice truck the way it is. Just talk. And I'm about to fuck it up royally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I'm excited. That's my new sort of, you know, non-motorcycle related thing. I'm I'm getting into the whole uh, overlanding thing. And it's not that because, I mean, as you've listened to the podcast, I, I ride a big adventure touring bike and it goes off the beaten path. All uh, and I do a lot of moto camping uh, with that thing. I've had it for three years and it's got thirty thousand miles on it, so it's been all over creation. But I'm gonna maybe have some fun doing that on the truck side. And I've been spending every ounce of free time that I have on either or Google searching one thing or another about this poor, brand new, beautiful truck of mine that I'm just <laughs> completely tearing apart. <laughs> Could you fit your bike in the bed of it? Not anymore. <laughs> no, I have three bikes. I have the big. Uh, Ducati Multistrada uh, 1200 Enduro, which is this big, big, you know, adventure tour. Just a you know, a big SUV, but on a motorcycle. It um, looks like a horse then, with back problems. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I think of when I look at a Multistrada. It looks like a, a horse yeah, with yeah. a back problem. Uh, you say on the you sit on the sway part of it, but you know, it's it's a pretty capable bike. That's definitely it's sort of new to the market for that specific adventure touring thing. BMW has owned that market for a long time, and everybody else is starting to catch up but so i've always 
you know, I've always, not always, for the last three years I've been doing that, but I've had, you know, sport bikes, I've got a race bike, that would fit in the back of the truck uh, pretty well, but once you lift it and put bigger tires on there, it's like, well, there was that, so I guess I have to trailer. <laughs> what do you have besides the uh, Multistrada and that newer, that, well, new used Aprilia you got? Um, I have a 2003 Ducati 999S, uh, so it's their, you know, their, their super bike of the time, which was one of the most controversial designs in the Ducati history, because before that, it was the, you know, the 916, 996, 998 design, which is to this day, I think, one of the most beautiful bikes on the planet. Um, my 999 is a bit of a Franken bike. It's got a race motor in it. So those things brand new were like 128, 130 horsepower. Mine's like 100, something like 147 horses at the rear wheel. So it's, it's a healthy, it's a healthy wow. It's got no traction control, no ABS fighting each other every time I'm at PIR. I'm very lucky. So, you know, I'm recording right now from my house and my house is less than a half a mile from Portland International Raceway. I can literally walk there. Um, wow. so. Yeah, just imagine having <laughs> race track, literally your backyard. All wow. Um, so I have the I have the track bike. It doesn't have it's just a just a single purpose machine that gets ridden nine or ten times a year, which seems really wasteful if you think about it. It does the job. Okay. Do uh, your neighbors complain about uh, PIR and the the noise? No, I think. Well, crossing my fingers. What I'm hoping is that you know a realtor will explain to them, hey there's a racetrack down the street live. Um, so there are, <laughs> the the track is owned by the city of Portland and it has a noise uh, limit, obviously. There's mm-hmm. one quiet, which is Monday, I don't know why, but it's like a 96 decibel day. And I always joke around that I fart louder than that. Um, <laughs> but on the rest of the days, it's 100, and, I want to say 102 or 104 decibels. Uh, and that's basically from 9 a.m. till 4 p.m. And those are okay. hours where people are usually at work. There are a handful of residents here who monitor the um, sensors. You can go online and check out the noise sensors. Nice. And if it goes over, they will call and complain. And it's like, <laughs> they're just old curmudgeons who are tired of hearing it. And you can just tell they're just like, ah, I'm sick of this. And it's, you know, I've, I've spoken to the, the old manager at PIR and he was like, it's just like four or five residents. It's always the same. And it's exactly what you think. Uh, yeah. But no, typically pe- people don't complain. Everybody, I mean, my wife loves the noise. She goes out front and drinks coffee, you know, and there's races after. It's a good sound. Okay. Yeah. I think um, one of the cultural things that we have to overcome in the Northeast is, is nimbyism. Um, yeah. That's everywhere, man. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I, 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 I would, I'm very confident that like New England conservatism is like a, a very real, real thing. Um, I mean, there's a reason why we don't have a lot of the, you know, the tech companies that the West Coast does, or even, even some other parts, uh, or even like New York, for goodness sake. I mean, there's a lot going on in in New York, but like for whatever reason. Um, you know, I mean, we're 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 kind of far behind the times with a lot a lot of things like uh, like zoning. Um, I mean, I couldn't there was there was a there was a pop up event that I wanted to do that I couldn't. Um, that's like right down the street from me because the town zoning wouldn't allow my little pop up food booth. You know, it had to be a food truck like or a, or a trailer. Like it had to have four walls and a roof. You know, I couldn't just like set up my pop up tent and and that that is. Um, is endemic the right word endemic to to the northeast uh especially connecticut it's just like all these 
all these things that just prevent people from from innovating and 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 like new ideas and new businesses and stuff and i think i think that's that's a big part of of what we need to overcome as a as a culture and a state if we're gonna you know survive the next hundred years without i don't know economic collapse (laughs) (laughs) it's such an old you know old part of the colonies that you know they i guess maybe they hold true to their traditions whether it's good or bad oh yeah yeah i mean there are there are certain certain good things uh, about it um you know every little every little town does things differently so if you don't like it one way you can move to another town that's close by where the property values are not significantly right. different um you know i guess that it's good for that for that way but at, at the end of the day like i mean there there are way too many health districts in our state for for its own good and it's 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 terrible for food trucks like you know to get like a food truck permit in every uh every single health district in the state is is a nightmare so it's 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 really dumb i can only imagine yeah it's like you know we should just a lot of things should be united under a state system like a state state health department because we're really only like three million people over here you know i mean it's we're 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 a giant suburb basically so we just got to get over it and just put everything under under the state uh, or at least county or something and 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 really streamline a lot of business business um how do i say it business regulatory authorities and and paperwork and red tape yeah i think police department fire departments as well needs to be brought into the county level because there's uh, you know if you look at like hartford and west hartford and things like that from that aspect you know it'd be so much better if they could just share resources yeah <laughs> but but people police if you don't want to get shot at as much you know you become a police officer in west hartford as opposed to hartford <laughs> oh, that's true. No, yeah, that was probably a bad example. <laughs> Those two yeah. are, are the most different cities, probably, uh, yeah. other than the Greenwich area. But yeah, <laughs> a lot more murders in Hartford every year. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we do have state police out out like where it's more woodsy. But right. yeah, um, yeah, that's fair. That's that's a different. Uh, we don't have like county sheriff. I know that in Illinois, when I lived there, there was county sheriffs. At, that's kind of what I'm getting. I think county sheriffs would probably be just a, a, a better system. But now we're getting way off topic, so yeah, <laughs> we're not going to solve this problem tonight. Right. A couple more glasses of uh, whiskey. We start solving things. You have no idea. There you go. Yeah. That's not here. <laughs> so so I mean, do you, when Shaheen, when you and Jensen record rap talk, I mean, are you guys? usually talking for like hours and then shorten it down to like an hour and a half no it's uh, you know we're we're pretty good at uh keeping um keeping the timing pretty real uh, we we may uh edit out maybe five or ten minutes and there are times we'll talk about something and we both know we shouldn't be talking about and we'll edit that out altogether sometimes you know it's, it's just a very natural conversation we don't really have a script like he has bulletin points that we try to follow through with but oh boy we fall off that path really quickly we're all about the dark, deep, dark rabbit holes. That's honestly, that's the Brap Talk's tagline should be Brap Talk, deep, dark rabbit holes. It's just so okay. easy to just go on a different subject altogether. And uh, he and I, we're friends before we were, you know, recording together. And so it's, you know, the whole reason I got picked to do this with him was because we just very easily converse together and shoot the shit together. And we have pretty varying, you know, opinions on stuff. So it, it makes for good conversation and good camaraderie. Mm-hmm. There's probably going to be like five things I wish I had asked you. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna like be going to sleep, going to bed tonight, and like startle awake and be like, "Oh crap! I forgot to ask Shaheen these five things." Damn it! But yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really have a whole a 
whole lot of uh, questions unless we want to take a dive down a, a rabbit hole, which I can do because I'm uh, I'm off this week. I don't have to go to work tomorrow. Oh man, I got work. Right, so interestingly enough, when I'm done recording with you here in a couple of minutes, I'm gonna head straight to Jensen's and record with them because we're trying to get one out before the new year, which happens to be tomorrow night. So we're gonna record oh, tonight. So today, be done with. All right. Well, I, I act like I'm doing all the work. I'm just gonna go over there and shoot my mouth like I usually. And he has to stay up. And- <laughs> That's true. He does all. I'm like on the Shaheen in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> I just show That's up, talk, point. and Kyle gets everything out. <laughs> yeah. Just show up to Jensen's house. He has this beautiful cat, uh, Coda Kitty, who I'm like desperately allergic to. And so that, oh, no. that's the thing he has to constantly edit out. I just clear my throat probably every three minutes. It's like Jensen, I'm dying. Oh no! <laughs> Killing cat. Did, did he? Uh, has he bought you those burgers yet? That, that motherfucker. No, <laughs> no, not yet. You know, not crying and like you know he'll stay up till two three in the morning to his job and then you know he'll mess send me a message at like two and a half noon hey i just woke up like neat i had lunch an hour ago <laughs> like wake oh, up yeah. like a normal so oh, we a concerted effort and incidentally i've bought him dinner probably twice then so uh, <laughs> bad here all right everybody that has been shaheen alvandi uh motorcycle enthusiast and general manager of motor Corsa ducati dealership in portland oregon Shaheen, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on uh, on our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome to, to connect with you guys. It's uh, It's been a pleasure. Safety third. Make good choices. And that has been another episode of the Petrolhead Podcast. Check us out on social media, Facebook and Instagram especially. Um, find us wherever you would find podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. I don't even know where I was going with that. Anyway, everybody have a wonderful happy new year even though this episode probably won't be out until after the new year this is kyle happy new year happy holidays stay safe we'll catch you next time this is Chaz saying speed safely